Scott, what is deeper learning? Uh, the schools that I work with tend to define deeper learning in sort of four big buckets or shifts. Uh, bucket number one is the shift in cognitive complexity. How do we get beyond the traditional factual recall and procedure regurgitation that schools are famous for? How do we move up Bloom's taxonomy or around Webb's depth of knowledge wheel and get to rich, robust critical thinking and problem solving, creativity, excellent collaboration, communication, all that higher level stuff um, that we know kids also need these days. That's bucket number one. Uh, bucket or shift number two is really the shift in student agency. How do we have learning be less teacher or system directed and really have kids drive and direct their own learning more often when they have more control and voice and choice, engagement and motivation goes way up. And that also allows us to personalize and differentiate in better ways. So that's bucket number two. Uh, bucket number three is sort of a real world authentic lens where we're trying to address those questions that kids always ask us about, why do I need to know this? Why do I care? What relevance does this have to me now or ever? Um, and so nice, you know, place-based community embedded, you know, learning uh, where kids are connecting with real world authentic tasks and audiences and outside partners help kids find meaning and relevance in a different way. And then the fourth big shift is the shift from analog to digital. Most of us went kicking and screaming in that direction if we hadn't already during the pandemic. Uh, we want our kids to be technology literate and information fluent. And we also recognize that it's not just technology for technology's sake. Technology can be a really powerful lever for those first three shifts that I mentioned, right? You can do different kinds of thinking work. You can do more authentic work. You can give kids different kinds of agency with tech than you can without. So uh, deeper learning is kind of a constellation or amalgamation of those four, right? How do we create rich, robust learning experiences for kids that are connected to the world around them? They're using technology in meaningful and powerful ways. They're driving their own learning and they're focused on uh, much deeper thinking and problem solving than you ordinarily see in a traditional school. That's a beautiful definition. Thanks. You've been thinking about this for a while. I have. <laughs> um, this is the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Tom Van Erk, and I have the pleasure of being joined today by Dr. Scott McLeod. Scott is a professor of leadership at the University of Colorado, Denver, my old hometown. And... Um, Scott's written a number of books on deeper learning. The most recent is Leadership for Deeper Learning. Scott is also um, this spring during a sabbatical from his teaching responsibilities, serving as a senior fellow at Getting Smart. Scott, it's really good to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's nice to be back. I think of you as the leading authority for leading for deeper learning. Um, and I, so I, I want to un, unpack particularly that the leading for deeper learning part of it, but um, why d deeper learning? Why, why do you think it matters? I, I, you, you answered some of that in the beautiful definition that you gave, but why does it matter that we provoke um, deeper learning? I think a couple of big reasons that we're sort of wrestling with right now. One is just around student meaning making and engagement, right? I think, you know, we've always known that our traditional one size fits all model doesn't. And so we have large numbers of uh, young people who are uh, disenchanted and disengaged with school and they're learning on a day-to-day -day basis. Some of them 
physically drop out. They disappear on us. But a lot of them, even if they're compliant and play the game of school, are mentally checked out. They're just going through the motions to get through, you know, year by year and class by class. And it just feels like, you know, we can do much better with kids and, and around learning. And so um, what we're finding is that these deeper learning experiences activate students' interest and passions and, and relevance making in a much more robust way than, you know, traditional content coverage. Uh, on the flip side, from a societal standpoint, um, everybody's recognizing that, you know, as we think about career readiness and college readiness and life readiness and, you know, workforce needs and job automation and all that, that kids need a different set of skills. And that tends to be non-routine mental work um, and good hands-on applied work where you can make meaningful impacts in your community and in the world around you. And again, you don't get that very much in traditional schools where you're running through textbooks and worksheets and teacher lectures. So um, there's a couple pretty compelling reasons for deeper learning, one from the student side and one from the societal side. Yeah, and you, you mentioned student agency. Um, you you really can't develop a sense of student agency without deeper learning. And you know, agency is so key to initiative, to entrepreneurial mindset. Um, so that feels like another critical reason, in addition to the the, the cognitive uh, skills that you described. Yeah, absolutely. And I forget who said it, but you know, uh, I read somewhere that you know. People need folks who can self-direct and manage their own work. Like nobody wants to just hire a compliant regurgitator. <laughs> so you've, you've been studying this topic for like 15 years now. Um, wh- where do you find deeper learning? What, what, when, you, when you find deeper learning, what, what are the conditions that exist that, that are typical? Uh, well, I think it starts with sort of a dissatisfaction with the traditional model. People are, are desperate for something different, right? And then the question is, how and where can you make something different, a different kind of learning experience for kids? Um, some of that has traditionally existed outside of school and extracurricular programs, um, you know, clubs, community supported organizations uh, and community centers and things like that. But as we start moving into the schools, um, we either see startups, right? So like a charter school or an independent school decides to move in this direction. Uh, We actually see it less often in traditional public schools, mostly because I think it's harder to move to get an organization to shift over and our mindsets about what school should look like are deeply, deeply embedded. So I think we actually have a number of charter schools that have moved in this direction, the number of public schools that have moved are probably much fewer. And I think, you know, the other thing that I recognize is that even when a larger district recognizes that this kind of learning is needed and is valuable, they tend to put it over on the side in a handful of schools. So, you know, you're in a large metro district and they might have several hundred schools and they'll say, oh, if you want deeper learning, we'll go to one of these five. Right. And it's like those five are a buffer against the rest of the system shifting. Um, And so it's great that there's some options for kids and families to do some deeper learning in those buildings. But, you know, what about the other several hundred schools in which they don't have the ability to become ready, whatever? Scott, I'd love to have you describe um, some pictures of deeper learning and maybe you can start at the elementary level and move up maybe middle grade and high school. But Either an example, maybe a story of something that you've seen, but give us like a two-minute word 
picture of what, what would deeper learning in elementary school look like? I'll uh, lean into an example here from our uh, neighbors up the road from me in the St. Rain School District, which I think you visited recently. Uh, St. Rain runs, runs this wonderful summer innovation academy where they tap into IBM as a local partner. And so what they do is they send, you know, two groups of kids. First, it's the kindergartner through second graders in to IBM for a week. Um, and they learn all about IBM's smart initiatives, like smart cities, smart energy, smart transportation, whatever, right? And then in week two, they the that group comes to the school district and grades three through five goes to IBM. Um, and in the second week, what the students are doing is that they are engaged fully in the design thinking process and they are building and prototyping solutions based on what they just learned about at IBM um, for last week. And so they spend the week building and designing in collaborative teams. They have to present and defend their work to others. It's like this huge hubbub of you know, craft materials everywhere and energy and excited, you know, elementary kids who just can't wait to tell you about their, you know, uh, lightning tower that they created that would, you know, power the world, you know, and solve our energy crisis and all this stuff. And, you know, it's all handcrafted and defended. And so lots of really robust skills there around teamwork and um, critical thinking and problem solving and effective speaking and listening and real world authenticity as these young people, you know, lean into, you know, societal problems as, you know, solutioners. It's great. And like right up the street from that would be Eltona Middle School, which is like a deeper learning playground. Right. Right. The idea lab there, the makerspace, the robotics laboratory. I, I was there last week and it just blew my doors off watching what middle school kids were, uh, were, were the work they were leading, not just doing. It was uh, it was amazing. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and I think we're, you know, I think there's this conception that a lot of this deeper learning stuff is a uh, mostly done by secondary students, but we're seeing lots of powerful examples of elementary and middle school kids who also are doing cool stuff. All right, how about a picture or two of what what this might look like in high school? What give us a deeper learning picture? Yeah, um, you know, I'm drawn to the work that is done in. Uh, New Village Girls Academy in Los Angeles, um, you know, um, and the girls that they serve there uh, have had a lot of things in society work against them. And yet they're sending them to do real world inquiry projects with outside partners. They're sending them out into the community to be interns two days a week. Right. And not just to be free labor, but to learn how to run the place, which is pretty great. Um, and then they also have internal structures set up where um, they're learning how to stay centered within sort of the chaos that's around them and um, do this amazing place-based, community-based, you know, work where they're making impacts and also learning how they can be positive contributors, you know, in their community in Los Angeles, which is pretty neat. Um, I think another place that just blows my mind is Butler Tech in uh, <laughs> Hamilton, Ohio area. Um, they are a started as a adult learning space where adults could come back and get credentials for the workplace. They've now extended that into high school and middle school 
where students are gaining all kinds of real world certifications. They're doing outside partnerships. They run a fifth day program. So on the fifth day of every week, kids are out in the community doing jobs, building skill sets, catching up on academics, whatever they need to do. Uh, they just bought an amusement park and they're trying to figure out what to do with it. They have multiple campuses. They also embed teachers into local high schools um, to teach CTE coursework. So it's like this wonderful cooperative structure across multiple school districts where Butler Tech is at the hub. And they just, they just keep coming back to this idea of what's the next mind-blowing thing that kids could do, right? Um, could we have high schoolers gain three, four, five, eight adult professional certifications before they graduate, right? Uh, yes, we could, right? And, and off they go. So it's this wonderful mesh of adult learners, uh, younger people as learners, community partners. They're creating a new campus right now where startup companies can come and interact with college faculty and high school faculty and high school students. So for example, maybe you're a startup company in vertical farming, right? And so now as a student, you can go over there and learn those skills um, and gain some credentials and enter the workplace, you know, ready to run. And it's just this, it's hard to even describe how far ahead Butler Tech is of so many CTE programs around the country. It's awesome. Um, in in that space, I um, I think of the CAPS network. That's 200 school districts around the country that are collaborating in, I call it professions-based learning, but right, all of those are, all of those centers, um, place-based, linked to business. So they're either uh, internships or often client-connected projects. They're immersive, challenging work. Uh, the last time I was at the CAP Center in Blue Valley, in Blue Valley, Kansas, there there were students building an airplane in the lobby. There were students launching businesses uh, from the lobby. There were students out in the field uh, doing bio ag research uh, on site. So another deeper learning playground. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know you visit these schools and these these young people are continually working with outside partners to do real world work in almost every domain we can think of, you know, and I, I remember, you know, I'm kind of old now. Um, and, you know, the options we had when I was in high school were, you know, construction and cosmetology and auto mechanics. And that was about it. Oh, and maybe childcare, right. And, and the diversity of options that are available to young people today, if we allow them through inquiry projects, passion projects, genius hour, CTE programs, internships, capstones, like there's all kinds of interesting stuff happening. Scott, we just, before we hit record, we were talking about our friend Trace Pickering from Iowa big, another example of a kind of a half day program for juniors and seniors where they can, engage in community connected projects. You put that up. I, I know you mentioned that profile that in, in your book. Yeah, I will big, you know, they're at this place now where, um, you know, the, the premise of Iowa Big is that students are working on projects out in the community in collaboration with outside partners. And they're at the place now where the, the work of the young people is so well respected that the outside entities are coming to them asking students to take on their projects instead of the other way around. So, you know, the city and county agencies, the 
you know, local companies or startups or nonprofits uh, are just working with students and they're doing amazing things. Uh, sometimes they're doing things like building aquatic drones that clean up plastic waste. Sometimes they're making documentaries for the county government. Sometimes they're, you know, creating a young women's entrepreneurship community that didn't exist before in an annual conference. They did something recently, which I thought was interesting, where they interviewed um, people around um, police shootings from both sides, both, you know, families uh, and victims, but also the police department to try and make sense of sort of that societal issue and did that in a very respectful and adult way. Um, So, you know, you never know what they're going to be working on when you show up there, you know, you pop in and some kids working on machine vision and can I create a bin that will recognize this recyclable item that I threw into it? Like you just threw in a plastic bottle Um, or, you know, um, you know, arthritis friendly utensils for senior citizens or just whatever. There's always something happening. You, a couple of times you've mentioned uh, place-based learning, which um, made me want to plug a book we wrote um, right at the beginning of the pandemic called The Power of Place. And this, this book, uh, like yours, features about 50 schools that, doing, that are doing work connected to place. So that, that's an important thread here that most, most schools doing deeper learning are deeply connected to place. Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the things that uh, Trace Pickering at Iowa Big has always said to me is that, you know, they've had a number of students who said, I can't wait to get out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. <laughs> until they went to Iowa big and they saw all the things that they were able to do in the community and with the community. And now they're like, I have a completely different connection to this place. I actually can't wait to go to college and come back so that I can make a difference in this community. Like I am right now. No, that's a beautiful aspect. It's really about helping kids fall in love with where they're from and right. Seeing as place is an important part of your own identity development, but it's empowering them to make the place they're from um, better. So I, I love that. So we've, we've talked about a number of examples of deeper learning. Um, what have you found about deeper learning leadership? What, can you name the, the characteristics that are typical of leaders that create environments like this? Yes, absolutely. I think one of the things we see right off the bat is that there's an incredible courage and bravery um, as we try to foster these models of learning in the face of deeply mind, deeply embedded mindsets to the contrary, right? So, you know, if you take somebody who thinks about school in a fairly traditional way and you insert them into a deeper learning school, they're like, what is this? This feels weird. This is bizarre. What about textbooks and teacher lectures and state tests and, you know, all that stuff? Um, so, uh, you know, we have a number of deeper learning leaders who actually have been run out of town for whatever reason in the local community, but have eventually found a place where they can do this work. Um, and that, so that's pretty great. Um, I think we also see a very uh, strong restlessness around equity. I think we find over and over again that, you know, there are equity angles around our most traditionally marginalized students and families and communities who are desperate for something different than the traditional game of school. And instead of, um, forcing them to play the traditional game, which they've struggled in. They're saying we can get young people on successful life paths by offering them something different, right? So there's a really strong equity angle here about reclaiming kids and, and getting them back you know, on tracks towards future life success. 
Um, I think we see really strongly held visions about a different kind of learning, a more robust and powerful and meaningful form of learning than simply regurgitating low-level content and procedures, and the ability to translate that vision into day-to-day practice. We see a really strong intentionality of structures and processes that say, if we're going to make this more amorphous, divergent, open-ended kind of learning happen, there's still structures on the back end that lead to that, right? And so a really deep connection in terms of processes and leadership behaviors and other organizational supports that translate the vision into day-to-day practice, but still give kids and teachers lots of trust and agency and ownership. Um, You know, I just mentioned trust. Uh, These places trust their teachers in ways that many traditional schools do not. They really just turn their teachers loose and say, here's sort of the general idea, like hit these big standards that are important, make sure kids learn these things. But otherwise, how you and the young people do it is up to you. And teachers and students are co-designers of the experience in ways that we just do not see in the neighborhood school down the street, right? So a lot of innovation, a lot of experimentation, a lot of autonomy by educators and students and how they learn. And I think, you know, the last thing that I'll just call out here for the leaders is that they're constantly explaining to people what this is, what it's all about. They're over-communicating, right? Because they're going into the community and saying, come join us in this kind of learning. This is why it's meaningful and powerful. So they're constantly sort of pitching the model, explaining the model in ways that, you know, a traditional principal doesn't have to. In in what ways do you see leaders um, express their interest in deeper learning and in vision and goals? How do they... How do they bring people along? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they do a couple of things. One is I think they're trying to put forth a more compelling vision of student learning than simply passing, you know, or doing well on the state test, right? And I think we see a lot of schools and districts that are hunkered down around traditional assessments and test scores. And because they are hunkered down and defensive and reflexive to state and federal mandates, they're doing things like trying to over-prescribe the teaching and learning process. We're going to create scripted curricula and scripted lessons and pacing guides and whatever. And these schools are doing exactly the opposite, right? They're saying, we want more from kids than just that. We want graduates who can do more than that, just regurgitate stuff on tests. And so, yes, we want kids to know and be able to do stuff. And we have these whole host of other outcomes. And in order to do that, we have to have a different kind of vision of what student learning is. But that vision is more open-ended, which means that you and the kids can build it together, right? And so um, what they're doing here is they're saying, we're going to be more than that. (laughs) And we're going to put in sort of the support structures and expectations um, that allow that kind of learning to happen. But within that space, you and your students have a lot of room to run. Make it yours. Do fun stuff. Get out in the community. Make an impact, right? So that's number one. And then I think the second thing they do around vision is that they also build capacity, right? Because what we see over and over again in school systems is that you might have a really charismatic leader, right? Tom, you're the new principal and you're blah, blah, blah. And you get everybody sold on your vision and you got everybody moving. And three years later, you decide to leave for whatever reason. And the whole thing just stops, right? It stops in your building. It stops in your district because it was too person dependent and you didn't build the capacity of others to sustain themselves, right? And then you think about a place like the Met or High Tech High, you know, or Epic in Liberty, Missouri, right? Those places, when the principal leaves, keep going, right? They're not person dependent. They build the organizational capacity and the belief systems that this is who we are. This is how we operate now. And, you know, they're not person dependent or leader dependent. Deeper learning 
uh, Scott, what is, what's the equity issue around deeper learning? Um, I think, you know, we have a number of students who are really struggling uh, to find meaning in the learning tasks that we put before them every day. Um, unfortunately, many of those students are in traditionally marginalized populations. So students of color, students who live in poverty, students for whom English is not their primary language, students with a disability, right? And they tend to be the students who are more likely to be left behind um, or marginalized in a traditional system of learning where, you know, one size fits all. We're trying to get everybody to do this, you know, on the same pace with the same answers at the same time and blah, blah, blah. Um, what these schools do is they are absolutely exceptional at finding ways to re-engage kids who have checked out of school, either physically or mentally, right? Because what they're doing is they're giving them really meaningful, authentic, engaging experiences in which students can operate and also be impact makers and difference makers, right? So if I'm struggling in my traditional classroom over here, you know, like, why am I reading this chapter about stuff I don't care about? Why am I filling out this worksheet about things I don't care about? Why am I taking these tests on things I don't care about? And now all of a sudden, I'm in a different kind of setting. I'm, I'm offered something that allows me to work with my hands, to be active, to work with outside partners, to work with my student peers as collaborators. And we're working on real stuff, stuff that makes a difference, stuff in which I can feel proud right? Then all of a sudden, those kids are re-engaged in a completely different way. And so I think that's a huge equity piece here is how do we make sure that all kids get these sort of future-ready, life-ready opportunities, and we can reclaim kids who are struggling to find meaning in the traditional system? Scott, the, I, I guess it, it pains me that, um, well, the pandemic was a, a disaster for kids, particularly underserved kids, but our response in many cases has been to double down on uh, mind-numbing work and bad tutoring and stuff that you'd probably consider the opposite of deeper learning. It, I mean, is that the answer? Um, no, I've seen that too, right? I mean, the rhetoric around learning loss, learning loss, learning loss is strong, and everybody seems to think that we should be mostly focused on test scores and catching up on low level content. And, you know, it's again, kids need to know stuff. They need to be able to do stuff, but doubling down on stuff kids hate probably is not the pathway to get kids to catch up. And yet that's the way that a lot of systems are leaning. I'm, I'm also cognizant that during the pandemic, a lot of these deeper learning schools adapted much more readily than more traditional schools, right? If you're a student in a school building where you're used to having lots of autonomy and agency and decision-making power, then when all of a sudden you had to be responsible for your own learning at home, you were fine, right? The students who struggled were the ones that needed lots of teacher direction and control and just tell me what to do. And now the teacher's not there. And right. So, um, you know, if you're in a competency-based system where, uh, you know, you're just used to taking kids wherever they are and just moving them forward, then there's no such thing as learning loss. You just start with the kid where they are and keep moving, right? So, you know, these deeper learning schools just had a different modality and, and an adaptation to the pandemic than a lot of the schools, you know, in our communities around us. So what uh, what's new and what's next? Did, have you developed some new ways to get the word out about deeper learning? <laughs> I'm trying. Um, 
Tom, thanks for making me a senior fellow for Getting Smart this spring. Uh, I'm on sabbatical. Uh, so much of the conversation around deeper learning is focused on secondary. I'm really trying to unpack what it looks like in grades K through eight. So as you know, I'm road tripping around the country with my dog and my wife, and we are visiting innovative elementary and middle schools. So if anybody's listening and they got a really cool K-8 school that I should go visit uh, you know, or try to make it there, uh, let me know. Uh, we're also trying to create a couple other resources that can reach anybody anywhere. One is we've started a new podcast called Leader Talk. Leader Talk is basically the Leadership for Deeper Learning book in podcast form. So we're inviting principals of deeper learning schools to come talk with us and unpack those leadership behaviors and support structures that they engage in to make that kind of learning and teaching happen. That's uh, at leadertalk.org. Um, and then the second podcast that we started is we're trying to help on the instructional side as well. So my colleagues, uh, Lori and Julie and I, we started this new podcast called redesigningfordeeperlearning.org, where teachers can bring us lessons and units and other activities, and we will redesign them on air live for deeper, more robust learning, um, kind of like walking the tightrope. So hopefully both of those will give people some really concrete examples of instructional redesign and leadership uh, as we kind of try to make these shifts uh, in some new directions. Check out Leadership for Deeper Learning. It's uh, Scott McLeod's new book. Every school leader uh, ought to read it. And I can't wait to listen to those podcasts. Those are going to be fun, like real-time design work. Maybe I'll call in with a problem and see if Dr. Scott can fix it. <laughs> yeah, bring a lesson, Tom. Hey, we, we really appreciate your work. Uh, we have loved all your books. This new uh, new one is, uh, is really a terrific contribution. Thanks for your work and uh, thanks for joining us today, Scott. Thanks for the opportunity, Tom. It's always great to talk with you. And thanks to our producer, Mason Pasha, and for the whole Getting Smart team for making this possible. Until next week, keep learning, keep leading, and keep innovating for equity. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.